Welcome to Dirty Drinks, where infectious disease and infection prevention professionals get together and talk about everything dirty that keeps them up at night. Join co-hosts Dr. Rick Starlin and Sarah Stream as they talk to other professionals about the dirty things that they think about every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our fourth episode of Dirty Drinks. I am here today with Dr. Starlin. How are you, Dr. Starlin? I am doing wonderful, uh, Sarah. Thanks for asking, and, and yourself? I'm doing well. We are changing the tides for our episode today. We have a special guest on, um, and this special guest is the Nebraska ICAP data wizard. So I would like to introduce Dan German. Dan, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Hello, how are you all? I will pause and wait for your responses. Good, good, glad you're all well. Um, my name's Dan German. Uh, I, I worked with uh, ICAP. I've uh, been uh, with the organization for uh, going on, uh, well, getting, getting closer to a year. Uh, and I spent uh, the majority of my life working with data, uh, but not healthcare data. I worked on uh, commercial business and consumer data. So years ago, when you used to get all of that annoying direct mail, um, I was one of those that helped cultivate all of that mail um, as far as the information, all of the addresses, all of the, the PII type of information, and then branching that out into uh, business information, tracking executive information, um, all of those things to help not only with the direct marketing uh, industry, but also uh, for business intelligence to help salespeople, to help uh, marketers, to help uh, others that would uh, uh, even in-car navigation um, and making sure that we had all of the, the correct businesses and all of the important business attributes collected uh, to help uh, all of those emerging digital industries. Oh, uh, wow, it's like a different language to us, uh, <laughs> all these uh, industries and uh, marketing and everything else. It sounds exciting. And I, and I love the curveball, Sarah. This is, uh, is going to be fun to, to talk through this with Dan. Well, yeah. you know, you, you, you talk about, uh, you know, dirty drinks, at least that's the title. Uh, I, I worked with a lot of dirty information. Um, and uh, <laughs> there, there's uh, 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 some similarities with that. Hopefully the, the information that I worked with previously didn't harm anybody though, physically. So is it safe to say that all of the junk mail that came to me prior to one year ago was probably your fault? Uh, I, I will take all of that on me, <laughs> yes. Um, no, uh, it was interesting. You know, one of the arguments that uh, the industry would always make was that uh, they exist uh, so that you're not getting junk mail. Um, and for the, the smartest marketers, they're actually cultivating and they're segmenting and they're providing um, intelligence around all of that so that you get less junk mail, that you get targeted information that you uh, might like to see or at least are more receptive to seeing. Interesting. Well, I, I just have to say to everybody out there, it's been a really great experience bringing Dan onto our team and having that outside perspective. Um, he came on in the height of the COVID pandemic last year. It, what was it like September? 
I was actually in November. November, um, yeah. And oh, literally, wow. <laughs> literally, the the week I started was the high point um, in an, in a very negative way. A high point for uh, total number of COVID cases in long term care facilities, not just in Nebraska, but I think nationwide. Yeah, you jumped both feet right in the pool there, didn't you? <laughs> I was wondering, it's like, I don't think it's always going to be like this. At least I hope it's not always going to be like this. So what made you think that you wanted to make this jump into something that was healthcare? Did you have any idea that what ICAP was or what infection prevention was or public health was from a, from a living in it kind of standpoint or just kind of generalities of what it was before you started? <laughs> Well, I, I, I had some generalities, um, not of ICAP specific, but of infection prevention and control. Um, I have a, a daughter that is a medical student, and uh, she uh, has been interested in, in medicine, you know, since she was uh, very young. And then, of course, as a, a responsible parent, I tried to take a little bit more interest in her interests as well. So um, I, I did have some sort of background. And with Everything that you know, we we do as um, you know, living people. If if you question things, if you want to understand how things work, um, one way or the other, you should be aware of infection prevention. You should be aware of of how viruses spread, how um, contaminants can can harm you, and that that goes whether or not you work in food service. Um, uh, people don't really, I think, give individuals that are involved in food service enough credit uh, to understand how they are on the front line of keeping what you consume safe and how that could impact you. Um, everything from sanitation, from, from uh, food service to down the line from manufacturing facilities and the like, all of that has to do with, uh, at least with food products, with keeping that material, clean, safe to consume, and all of the tolerances that are involved. Uh, you know, when, when you look, one of the things I, I did right out of graduate school is I, I worked to help uh, food processors in the state of Nebraska, not necessarily on the manufacturing side of it, but with the marketing and the business development side of their products. But I would work with food scientists at the university in, in, in Lincoln, and we would visit these facilities and go through their workflows um, and where I would try to point out um, items that they might be able to incorporate uh, to increase their revenue, to increase their profits. Uh, the food scientists would be doing other things like, hey, have you thought about testing the pH of, of this particular thing? Uh, have you done a uh, food safety uh, analysis on uh, when this product might be turning so that you're not going to harm potential customers? Uh, so uh, I did have a lot of that interest and I made the switch from the uh, information industry to ICAP because honestly, I felt it was a great fit. And um, speaking with uh, some of the, the leaders on the team and the, and the team members, um, I felt like some of the things that I could provide could help them in their mission to help long-term care facilities, to help dental facilities, to help acute care hospitals, uh, to help all of those within the state of Nebraska uh, to be more prepared and to better approach infection prevention and uh, help the, all of those uh, involved. 
That's great, Dan. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We're really, really thankful to have somebody like you on the team that can look at the data and understand what's going on. Um, I am kind of curious, though, um, after being on a team with infection preventionists and ID physicians for almost a year now, have we ruined how you see the world? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> the, how I view the world, it was ruined a long time ago. <laughs> um, be, because, you know, uh, and we've touched on this in uh, different ICAP um, uh, meetings and webinars and so on and so forth, in that the amount of misinformation uh, that is out there and uh, what individuals and I, I known some very, very smart individuals that have been susceptible to misinformation where they hear one thing um, and, you know, they, they try to put two and two together and it, the, the, where they come to their conclusions, they just don't make sense. Um, and, and, you know, there's that, that old quote of, you know, uh, numbers don't lie, but liars use numbers um, is so very, very uh, obvious, not just in the information industry, but in healthcare, and how people can pick and choose different facts or figures or tables, and then spin it to their narrative. So uh, understanding what, um, or at least trying to understand what healthcare professionals go through, and understanding, um, uh, you know, what they have to face, and how they have to interpret, uh, certainly hasn't diminished my viewpoint. And in, in fact, it's helped um, give me a, a greater appreciation and a, uh, a probably a more accurate viewpoint in that these people, they're just trying to help. They are absolutely trying to help. And, uh, you know, working in other industries, uh, you know, I run across, uh, I ran across a lot of people that they were in it for themselves. They were selling a product. They wanted to make more profit. They wanted to generate more revenue. Um, and I, I don't find that in, uh, at least in the, the individuals that I work with and uh, the individuals that uh, the larger ecosystem that I work with and that they are truly looking out for the patients. They're working, looking out for the healthcare workers. They're trying to make things better for everybody else, even if they don't know it. So with the, with the data that you have and everything that you're seeing, do you just want to reach out and shake people when they like, just ignore the data or use the data and to manipulate, uh, you know, whatever they're trying to get across that maybe isn't the, the mainstream uh, type approach? Um, I, I absolutely, absolutely do. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's uh, first off, there are a whole lot of people that are way better um, with, with uh, uh, statistics, uh, data modelers, and the like. Uh, where um, I've worked with individuals that uh, have a doctorate in, in a, a status, a statistician, um, where they work with uh, big data. And when I talk about big data, um, you know, you can Google up the, the definition, but, you know, we're, we're looking at massive amounts of data. And what they try to do is they try to, to, to correlate the data. They try to understand trends. They try to uh, uh, massage it. And what I've found is that the statisticians or the, the individuals that, that manage that data, the best ones aren't 
the smartest ones uh, because they, you, you can draw incorrect conclusions off of the data um, if you don't understand the data. If you're just getting raw information sent to you in your process and you're saying, gosh, it looks like um, you know this here is uh, 58%, this here is uh, 42%, we got a clear cut winner. And unless you start uh, peeling back the layers of that onion and you understand what was the sequencing of the number, uh, who was, who was the, um, uh, where did the data originate? How did they normalize the data? Uh, unless you understand all of those aspects of how that data was created, cultivated and um, managed, uh, you're not going to have a full appreciation of what it's telling you. And that's just on a quantitative standpoint. You need all of those qualitative understanding of, of how that data was created and in what context it was created before you can really draw uh, firm conclusions. Yeah, I mean, we try to look at medicine or dentistry in Sarah's uh, field uh, as being data-driven, and we try to do as good a studies as we can and, and try to make decisions based on data. I mean, and since you've come into uh, uh, medicine and ICAP, has that been your experience that you think we're trying to actually present fair data to the public and educate people as to this is why we're doing the things that we're doing? Uh, that's unquestionably true. Um, in fact, it, it, uh, they're very, very careful about presenting information and making sure that it's accurate. So uh, where I, I run things, I run all of the numbers, I run the information and, and try to be very transparent with uh, not only when I present and say, this is what the data is showing me, I also state, this is where I'm uncomfortable with the data. This is where um, you know, we, we need to take into consideration some of these outliers and some of these other factors. And the group as a whole, and, and again, uh, the, all of the individuals that I work with, uh, they are so careful about representing the data correctly and being very transparent with the data so that if there is any room for interpretation, that the individuals that they're providing the information to, they have all of that to take into consideration. I know we've, um, we've presented a, a lot of data over the last year to many different groups, you know, long-term care and acute and outpatient during our webinars. And um, we have been known to even hold data sets back for a week, just so we can double check and make sure that it's, it's, accurately representing whatever it is that we're trying to portray. Um, we, we wanna make sure that that data is correct and accurate and we can get it out in the best way that we can. So um, I'm really Absolutely appreciative of what you do, Dan. It, well, well thanks, awesome. thanks. <laughs> and when we look at the data and, and you know, you can look and say, oh, the CDC published, you know, X, Y, and Z and, uh, Obviously, the, the CDC has some awfully smart people, and they, uh, you know, they have the statisticians, and, and they run things through. But one thing that if you look at the data, and if you look at the line-by-line -line listings, you'll see that sometimes, um, like I, I noticed this in, in vaccination rates, as an example, where if an institution, an individual facility, if they report 
data incorrectly, it does mean a difference at the bottom line when you're looking at totals. Uh, and we've run, run across this where we'll look at an individual county as an example. We'll say uh, the long-term care facilities, uh, the vaccination rate is low for this county. You drill down a little bit more and you'll see that, well, one facility made a mistake on the reporting and they reported that you know zero of their residents were vaccinated. Well, that, that, that changes the entire dynamic, the, the entire percentage. So again, looking at some of that at a more uh, individual line item level uh, will help identify some of those outliers and give you a better understanding of that entire data set and what it's trying to tell you. Terrific. Well, thanks for, uh, for all the talk through healthcare data. Now, I like to eat. I think you guys probably like to eat as well. So I want to hear something about you were talking about food that you did before in a previous life. So tell us some about what you did with data and food. Well, I, uh, again, I, I worked on the marketing side of it and I worked on the business development side of it. So I, I would help them create marketing plans, business plans, and then I would work through all of the costs um, uh, of manufacturing um, and, and even labeling, um, uh, packaging and, and things like that. However, it did give me an opportunity to see the manufacturing side uh, of, of food and um, I'm convinced that there would be a whole lot more vegetarians out there if they <laughs> actually saw the meat products being manufactured um, because they, they, you know, they, they don't necessarily have an appreciation for the humanity that goes involved in the process steps that are involved in taking something from the, the feedlot to you know, the grocery store. Um, uh, you know, I, I've seen bologna made. <laughs> uh, I've seen. So do you uh, not you eat know, bologna now? I, I, no, that's not true. I would eat. I would eat still bologna. You know, I, I'm not going to say I have some in my fridge, but I absolutely eat bologna. Um, I eat hot dogs, and I have seen hot dogs made. I have seen sausage made, um, and uh, I still love sausage. It's probably a top five food group for me. Um, so you know, uh, understanding the how things are created on, on the food side. And for the reputable facilities, uh, which the vast majority are, um, how they uh, operate and how they take uh, safety and cleanliness um, uh, seriously, it, it was always amazing. But the knowledge of, of those food products and and many people don't know, you know, most of this is in, you know, say Nebraska, but, you know, there have been a whole lot of food products that were invented in Nebraska, everything from Kool-Aid out in um, uh, Hastings, I believe is, is where that was made to uh, the McRib was um, invented in Lincoln at the, the food processing center. So um, you go down the, the, the line, uh, there's been a whole lot of food come out of Nebraska um, and, and at one point, I can't remember what the percentage of steaks that were uh, processed out of the state of Nebraska, but it, that would probably surprise you as well. I remember um, talking with you a while back and you had a little bit of a fun food adventure over the pandemic. Do you wanna talk about what you did over the pandemic? Oh, sure, sure. So, um, you know, as, we had a, a large household of uh, five adults. 
Um, and much like everyone, or at least most others, uh, we weren't eating out anywhere. Um, rarely would we, you know, pick up to-go items. And as you go through your normal staple of uh, customary meals, it can get a little tiresome. So uh, one of the things that we would do to keep it a little more interesting is at least once a week, we would identify a new meal that we were going to prepare. prepare. Um, and it would be from, you know, spanning the globe, right? So somebody would help pick out what we were going to have. And then uh, whoever was available at the time, we would assemble whatever ingredients we could go into the specialty stores, whether they were the, uh, the uh, not, not the wet markets, but pretty darn close to a, a wet market that we have here in, in Omaha, uh, to the Indian stores to, to buy some uh, different spices. And uh, we made so many different, so many different uh, 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 foods uh, from Germany, from Italy, of course, uh, lots of different Asian ones, lots of different Indian ones. Uh, some were better than others, but I, I vividly remember one where, you know, we started off on a, a Saturday afternoon and, you know, I'm like four and a half hours into cooking and I'm like, I don't even think I want to eat this anymore, uh, you know, after spending that much time and looking at the, the sheer disaster that the, the kitchen looked like with flour and materials in every pot and pan. Um, you know, it was quite the adventure. It was definitely memorable. Um, but I can't say that I'm going to do that individual recipe again. But a lot of times, whether it's camping, whether it's trips, whether it's cooking, the most memorable ones aren't necessarily the most enjoyable ones at the time. <laughs> Definitely very true. So when you're cooking, since you're a data guy, are you a precise measurer or are you just like, I'm going to throw it in until it looks like it's right? No, no, I am, I am, a, I am a data guy and I'm a process guy. So if that recipe tells me exactly what to do, I am going to execute that recipe <laughs> with precision. Whereas my wife is a cook and, you know, and reading through some of her recipes, she documents the recipes and she has uh, tweaked and managed and, and, and modified those over time. But, you know, she'll look at those. And, and as I was reading through first draft, it would be like, add some paprika, add, you know, add pinch of this. And I'm like, pinch. What my fingers are bigger than yours. How much is a pinch? I need quarter teaspoon. I need, I, I need metrics. I need something to go along so that when I'm making this, it will at least be more consistent. So that's why I am not a cook. I'm more of a, a process guy. So does hers turn out better than yours? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no question about it. No, because I'm, I'm not convinced that she doesn't give me the wrong measurements just so that hers always turns out better. She knows you too well, huh? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Either that or you're a really good husband. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I am really interested to hear uh, your perspective as a data guy on just like the, the daily news, like the day-to-day you know, things that are, you see in media. Um, I know you're always sending us really good articles with graphs and tables and statistics. 
um, as a team on what's going on. And I was just curious, like, what is your perspective on overall, like the, the sources of data that are being fed into the media? So it, a lot of the, the, the source of the information um, isn't necessarily bad at all. Um, it's the individual outlet and, and the individuals that they have employed that then spin that information. And that's why you can look at two different news sources and see vastly different headlines because they're picking and choosing what they want to tell you. So that's why qualitative journalism is awesome. You know, the human interest stories and, and those kinds of things. Some of that is, is excellent and very entertaining. Um, however, when it comes to how that data is portrayed, that's where individuals need to uh, do a better job of looking and in, into the details and combing through trying to understand what's the source of the information and how are others also interpreting this same source of information. And that's why I always go back, um, if, if I'm really that interested, I go back to the source, the original source of the data, and I've been known to download the source of the data and do my own analysis to look and do the com compare and contrast. And, and that's why I've never been accused of sharing false information and misinformation, because unless I feel very strongly that it's accurate, I am not going to share something like that. And um, I have gotten um, into not trouble, but I have had family members drop me off of Facebook. Um, I have had other friends not talk to me anymore because I will um, call them out. Not every time because nobody likes that person, but um, I, I kind of set a, a frequency table of like, hey, I'm only going to call you out once per week. If you constantly <laughs> are reciting bad information, I'm going to call you. Because my hope is that if more people would do that, not emotionally, but factually, it might help change some of the discourse and it might help change some of the misinformation that um, is so common today. I think so much of our information we get from uh, just bits of things that are now short. We're used to reading a short article that just fits on our phone that we can read in 30 or 60 seconds, and we think it tells the whole story and um, without having the ability to go back and check all that data. Everybody's in a hurry. Everything's fast and quick and short and texts and Twitters and, and everything else that uh, I think you're probably a, a dinosaur and being going back and looking at the, the primary data again and probably reading a you know a whole time article as opposed to just the cliff notes of that it, it yes i mean it, there's there's no doubt there's no doubt uh but you know it, it's even you know there was in in social media and i i got into a, a number of um conversations if you will of where i had uh, uh friends and family saying you know 
this COVID thing is, is completely fake. It's just completely, it just, it's not happening. It's the flu. And they're going to come by and, you know, in another six months, they'll, they'll, they'll admit that it was just the flu and people aren't dying. And, you know, gosh, how, if, if, if it's really that bad, how come the same number of people died in September of this year that died in September of last year? And, you know, trying to work through all of that and explain that, you know, they, th that information is not final. All of the death records aren't in. All of the information still has to be processed. You need to go back and look and, and you know, and some people, obviously, actually, most people aren't going to do that. They're not going to do that research. Um, they're not going to um, uh, go to that extent. You know, there's only so many time, uh, so much time in a day, and other people have uh, much more interesting hobbies than than I do. So, you know, they're going to spend time on things that interest them, and uh, a lot of times that type of information isn't interesting. I don't know. I think most of us in ID and infection prevention, we're kind of nerds too, and looking at numbers and manipulating data, is, it's kind of fun. We just talked with Dr. Hewlett the other day that. We like to plan our own trips because it gives us some type A personality traits where we can know what we're getting into when we go on trips and looking at data is the same way. You can look at it so many different ways and uh, try to, to, to get your point across. Yeah, and, and with the nerds, um, I'm, I'm certainly not embarrassed to, uh, uh, if I'm not a nerd, I'm a nerd wannabe. And uh, nerds, you are my people. So I, I have... Uh, zero qualms with that. And I certainly don't even look at it as a, as a negative, negative term. It's not. We're all in good company, I think, on this podcast. And everybody out there who's listening to us, I'm sure has that little nerd bug that that would be the reason why they listen to us, right? Indeed. I would assume so. <laughs> um, so I was curious, um, I know with the pandemic, um, you know, healthcare was caught off guard. And obviously, we weren't prepared for the pandemic medically, right? With the PPE and, um, you know, being able to support our healthcare workers. But um, how do you think that that has affected the data part of like the statisticians in the CDC? And, you know, we've always been really big on um, peer review with our data and some of our findings and just this really short timeline that we've had to work with COVID. Um, what do you think the, the struggles are maybe that some people need to hear about? Well, I mean, from the, the individuals that would process the data, the individuals that would work um, through all of that, the, what we have to keep in mind is that they were doing the best they could with the information that was available at the time. And, you know, I remember in the, in the early days of, uh, you know, people freaking out over the mail being delivered. And, you know, do you microwave your mail? And do you spray your mail? And, you know, and, and I remember thinking through all of that, does that make sense? How long does the virus live on a piece of paper versus a piece of plastic versus a piece of metal? And what would the temperature have to be and what and, and if when you consider all of the variables that go into play, um, I absolutely appreciate that a lot of people they just didn't know. 
And when there isn't a, you know, not like gravity where, uh, you know, it exists and you know, it exists when, when there's a vacuum and when there's no, when there's uh, uncertainty, uh, that vacuum is filled with um, uh, hypothesis and guesses. And sometimes it's those that have the biggest megaphone um, and the biggest uh, uh, following uh, that gets their message across, not necessarily the, the right message. So, you know, with all of that, I think individuals just have to uh, take into consideration what is the motive of the um, uh, individual that's, that's providing all of that data? What is their motive? What are they trying to accomplish? And how are they trying to help? Not how they're trying to profit, but how are they trying to help? And that's where you get into public health and you get into epidemiology and you get into healthcare workers and you know that they're aligned and that they're trying to help the public. Uh, so that's where I lean on. And that's where, um, you know, I would put my faith personally. And that's where I did even before, you know, I joined the organization. Uh, for others and for all of the supply chains and for um everybody that, that helps all of the gears churn and all of the products being produced. Well, I mean, that's honestly, that's capitalism. And that's individual companies that are doing projections, trying to understand what they need to do to keep their inventory as low as possible while still fulfilling all of their customer requirements and uh, making sure that they have enough in the distribution channel. Uh, when you have a pandemic and when there's a run on materials, well, that's just the way it goes. I mean, you know, you can't expect all of these companies to have uh, massive stockpiles of all of these other uh, materials and equipment when uh, it costs them money to do so. So, you know, I'm sure all of them and, and every business that's of any certain size um, uh, updates all of their forecasts of what they're going to need. Um, but again, it's hard to predict a pandemic, um, uh, once in a lifetime type of pandemic. So um, I, I, you know, there's plenty of em empathy to go around uh, from all of the companies and what they had to do to all of the workers to had to help support uh, to everybody that had to go through, um, you know, what we did over the past 18 months or so. Yeah, I think that being said, we do have to learn something from what we've been through and the data can certainly help it so that we could have some measures of preparedness for this to happen again, because clearly it's going to happen again. And so I think uh, looking at what worked and what didn't work and having objective measures of that, because our memory is short, right? We'll, we'll move on from this and even as painful as this has been, um, there's a lot of people that have already moved on from it uh, but the data won't lie. And so we're going to have to look back at that and figure out what worked, what went wrong, and how can we keep that from going wrong again? No question about it. No question about it. And, and you look at the, you know, the supply chain um, and you look at uh, the, the supplies and how, uh, especially at the onset of uh, PPE, and all of the, the cloth masks that were manufactured by uh, individuals in their households and, you know, selling them uh, for, you know, six bucks a piece, uh, you know, that's not going to cut it. So uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are a lot smarter than I am 
um, looking at all of their, their manufacturing and their forecasting models, um, trying to make sure that this doesn't happen again. We always ask our guests, um, like medically, what is the craziest thing you've ever seen? Since we have a lot of fun infectious disease and infection prevention professionals on usually, but you are not a medical professional. So do you have any crazy data stories? Man, crazy data stories. I mean, <laughs> all the, all data stories are crazy. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you try to identify just one? Um, honestly, any of my data stories would be so, so much more boring than the stories that you all have to tell. You know, uh, when you're at parties, nobody goes to the data guy and says, got any good data stories for me this week? You know, that's just not a thing. That's well, just you, not could, you could tell us how many, how many beers we're expecting to get out of the different sizes of kegs. <laughs> Depends how big your glass is. <laughs> No, there's, there's um, the, the world of data is more interesting than what most might um, uh, appreciate. And it's a whole lot scarier uh, than what you might think as well. Because uh, for all of the, the individuals that do all of those, you know, Facebook uh, type of surveys and saying, you know, if if I was a color, what color would I be? Um, and, you know, all of those other, you know, if you were a, a medieval uh, a king, which king would you be, you know, based on your, and you enter your birth date, or, you know, you enter other information. Don't do it. They're mining your data. They are mining your data. And then they are taking that and applying it to your core information. And that's how they build your profiles. So uh, the information that you don't have to voluntarily provide, don't. Um, and that goes with Facebook, it goes with surveys, it goes with online cookie tracking and all of that. They take bits and pieces of information from all of the interactions that you have and then they consolidate it, they match it and then they consolidate it and then they build profiles. So. Just be careful with what you share um, and uh, be careful with uh, the information you provide. I think that's really good advice, Dan. Um, I do have one spinoff question from that. And this is just simply my nativity on this subject. Um, when you get a pop-up on a webpage that says, we use cookies, do you accept or reject? What happens if you reject it? Nothing? They just don't have access to whatever you have on your computer. If if they're if they're reputable, yes, and that's exactly what I do every single time. So, um, yeah, that that's what I do. And um, again, it's it's not a secret. If you go to uh, you know one website and you do a and you do a search across for a product, and, and then you start seeing ads for that exact same product. Um, in other services, it's because they're buying uh, that information. So uh, as much as you think that, you know, you're being all stealthy and the like, um, you're probably not. Uh, so just be, be careful on what you share. Um, you know, I don't really care that, you know, 
they, the, a marketer knows that I'm looking for bicycle tires or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, but on all of the other information, just be careful. I was talking to a really good friend of mine who had a conversation with an anti-vaxxer recently. And this person um, was afraid that they were going to get microchipped and tracked through the vaccine. And he just looked at them and pulled his phone out of his pocket and said, I made the decision to be tracked. I have it right here. It's not in my arm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, But that magnet might not stick to his phone like it does the yeah. arm. <laughs> right, on right. Where the shot was. <laughs> oh, well, great advice, Dan. Do you have any questions for us? We always uh, ask our guests if they have anything that they... Uh, would like to to ask us before we uh, sign off. Man, Nothing that is required, a... obviously. It's no it's no big deal. We just want to give you the opportunity to torture us since we tortured you for the last forty five. Gosh, years. I, I I certainly wish I I had thought of a good question prior um, that wouldn't be edited out. So. <laughs> So we'll skip this time, but I'm sure with, you know, all of the demand and, uh, you know, feedback of saying the data guy was so interesting. We just need to talk. We just need more of that data guy. The next time I'll, I'll have uh, better questions prepared. We will look forward to that next time. We, everybody, everybody on our podcast has to love data. I think it's a requirement to listen to our podcast. I think you're right. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for being on our show today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. And for our listeners, we are going to log off for the day. Don't forget to follow where you ever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Twitter. We now have a Twitter account. It's at dirty underscore drinks. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Dirty Drinks. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends if they enjoy dirty drinks.